it's wild to think that like we were only off for like a week, but to me, it felt like a month. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a lot has happened movie wise in the last couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not only releases, but like announcements and trailers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even just entertainment. I mean, Elon Musk. <laughs> well, yeah, you got you got so much that just kind of like you know. I mean, by the time this we're recording this live. It'll be about two weeks since the Mortal Kombat, the last Mortal Kombat episode. And in those two weeks, oh man, there's been some stuff that's come out. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. The, um, highlight for me recently was Mitchell's versus the Machines. Yes. That was oh. a really good one. Oh my God, it was so and good. That was one that was a pleasant surprise to me because I remember the trailer from like a year ago back when it was called Connected. Connected. Yeah, I did And too. I was like, this looks like Phones Bad, the movie. The animation's gorgeous, but this looks terrible. Yes. Um, I remember just eye rolling and hand waving it. Um, yeah, and that, then I don't. I don't know. It's not. There's no official word on it. I don't know if it was reworked from a more phones bad plot. There's still just a tiny bit in there, but it's like totally reasonable. Um, but whatever happened there, I'm glad we got the movie that we got. Yeah, and th- not the movie that was marketed in the first trailer. I think what happened was they just decided to. They picked one character in particular for the connected trailer, which is the father. Mm-hmm. And he is a prominent role. He is an interesting character. It's probably Danny McBride's best performance because I don't hear Danny McBride when he does it. Yeah. But it really wasn't until they decided, oh, maybe when we redo the stuff for Netflix because it was picked up by Netflix, maybe we should focus on the actual main character. And then after that, the trailers just felt a lot better Yeah. because it's about her. Because, yeah, like that first trailer that came out, I mean, every time I think about it, I think of like – Watching high, like listening to High Hopes because it had high hopes in the trailer being like, this is not a good trailer, but this looks really great. I hope this is just a bad trailer. Yeah. And then the newer trailers, it was like, oh, this looks pretty great. I'm going to yeah. definitely watch this. And it is great. It's gorgeous, too. It's like it's like if Sony was like, let's take a Disney afternoon like cartoon and turn it into like a high-budget, beautiful animated yeah. film. If this was, like if this story had been done by like Disney, it would have been kind of like pushed out there quietly and yes. like not, you know, it wouldn't have been probably all that great. It would have been like a six out of 10 mm-hmm. generic movie about family and technology and like nobody would remember it. It'd be like the meet the Robinsons yes. of today. But it still would have gotten a premiere access release <laughs> yeah. instead of, you know, Pixar, which right, is getting right. fucking shit faced with Luca getting yeah. screwed with that. But Sony animations, they're, they're really picking up steam. No, you know, yeah, Spider Verse and with this, but yeah, I mean, yeah, this last two weeks have just been I've been watching more newer films than I usually have because it's like there really hasn't been a lot, yeah. And so like every now and again, when there has been some and there has been some time where I'm like, I'll go check that out. Like, I I have no real interest in Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man, but when I had a free <laughs> Sunday, I was like, sure, hey, I'll try it. New movie must yeah. consume. I mean, yeah, I'm now fully vaxxed. I can go out in the wild right, and pretend things right. are normal. And, of course, I go and see one of Richie's weirdest fucking movies, and then I can't help but think, like, is this weirder than the Madonna film everyone hates, or is this might be the weirdest (laughs) film Richie has? Where it's like you take out the oi-mate comedy, and it's one of the weirdest, like, straightforward films. I mean... We gotta just we gotta talk about it right now. We gotta talk about mainstream. It's oh, another man. film we watched together. Yeah, because not because either of us were going to review it. You were just like, I was. Hey, why not? Yeah, I was curious. It was kind of like how I how it was like Wrath of Man for you. I yes. like, heard about it and I was like, hey, 
I like Andrew Garfield. I've heard this is a little bit wild. The trailer's intriguing. Yes. I kind of feel like it's going to be bad, but I don't know. <laughs> Let's check it out. Yeah, the trailer had the vibe of it couldn't be middle of the road. It was either bad or it was either a cult classic, like, <laughs> yeah. like a, a loving underdog film, and it's bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad, and it sucks that it's bad because Andrew Garfield is obviously – Putting way too much yeah, into he's it. He's at eleven the whole movie. Yeah, he's... the movie. I mean, like it's. I want to say it's a good performance, but it just doesn't fit the movie. Like it's a really great performance in its own, mm-hmm. and he's super committed. And you know, you almost kind of lose the Andrew Garfield of it. Oh, for but sure. The movie is just not operating at the level he's operating. Yeah, at. It, it doesn't help that the two, the other two, Maya Hawk and that wolf, who are like his. I, I would say, I mean, Maya Hawk's technically the lead, but yeah. she doesn't feel like it in terms of, like, the energy and the presence that Garfield yeah, brings to Yeah, she doesn't really do anything. Yeah. She just reacts to stuff. Yeah, she's... In a kind of quiet, sad way. Mm-hmm. She's... They don't really have much of a character besides, like, right. I just want to be known. Right. I want to be semi-famous, and... Yeah, well, and the, the I mean, the movie is little more than its message, which would have been kind of a salient message back in like 2009 yeah uh, maybe even a bit prophetic if it came about back mm-hmm. then but now it just feels kind of redundant like yeah we know that youtube culture and internet can be toxic and dangerous is toxic and, and, and deceptive and manipulative yeah. and harmful but like it, it doesn't really do anything new with that subject matter if you want to see Andrew Garfield play a Jake Paul-esque douche while Jake Paul is also in the same film where he plays a Jake Paul douche. Yeah. Then I guess give it a shot, but it's really not worth it. Right. It's It was really just There's like, a couple scenes that are like, you know, that's fun. It sticks with me. But, like, it's really just not yeah. worth the whole endeavor. This is how it was. We we watched a few episodes of Jupiter's Legacy from Netflix <laughs> yeah. of, of right before Mainstream. And as we were watching Mainstream, I personally was just bummed we didn't watch more Jupiter's Legacy, <laughs> which is d- saying a d- lot. Yeah. yeah, that's not to say that Jupiter's Legacy is good. No, 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 no. But it was more interesting and less of a train wreck. Well, it's a little bit. It's still a little bit of a <laughs> certain train wreck. aspects were train wrecks oh, in Jupiter's Legacy, yeah. while Mainstream is just a full on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope Gia Coppola does. You know, keeps doing stuff. Trying. I mean. Yeah. I've heard Palo Alto is fine. I've heard that's fun, but at the same time, yeah, it's just been. I mean, it's not that's that's talking about the films we've seen. We haven't really talked about the fact that like there's been just movie news all the time. Yeah, new trailers. I mean, the the fucking Forever Purge. Did you see that trailer? I didn't see the trailer. I saw the poster. It looks so weird. It. I mean, it looks like the lowest budget yeah. one they have so far, which is I'm funny. I'm sure it is. Um, I mean, the third one had, a, or the last, was that the third or the fourth? The oh, most, my God, yeah, the this most is the recent fifth one. one the yeah. most recent one was the, the, the Purge election year? No, it it's the first Purge. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, Wait, so, yeah, 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 that's the yeah. one with, like, that's it's the like, prequel. It's like in Harlem or something. Yeah, it's like it's, it's more it's of like a, an African American family. More like a class poverty thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have seen that one. That I've, one, I was it's yeah. not great, but I was pleasantly surprised by it. I've heard people have said that they're it's their favorite. Yeah. Some people, it might be the most substantial one. <laughs> yeah, what a wild franchise. Yeah. There's no way we can make a trilogy out of five, but at the same time, it's like 
You, the, I, <laughs> the temptation is there. How do we it, how do we do yeah. a purge episode? Because I think per- personally, to me, I think the first purge has nothing redeemable. I don't like anything in that film. You mean the original purge yeah. movie? I mean, I'm not saying that the idea isn't interesting. The idea is interesting, but the execution is so flawed to yeah. the umpteenth degree that I had no interest to see the sequel until like a friend was like, "Let's watch it," and then right. we did, and then it was mediocre. But at least yeah. it wasn't the first one, and that's kind of what the series has been. Yeah, this last couple because like I heard Election Year was about as good, if not maybe a little bit worse. I, I enjoyed Election Year on the level that I enjoyed like some of the later Fast and Furious movies. Where okay, I was like, this isn't like good, good, mm-hmm. but I'm having a decent time with it. Yeah, where it's like, wasn't it the the new Patriots? There's like that scene where like there's a bunch of white dudes around the table where it's like, she's trying to stop the purge. Yeah, we must kill her. Ugh. And then the forever purge is just like, no, fuck it, purge every day. And it's like, yeah, well, I, I guess we're at this point. Well, I read the premise of the forever purge when I saw the poster, and it just felt like, like, how is this? How is this not like the immediate thought? after you make a movie called The Purge. Yeah. You know, like, how is that not your immediate sequel? And here we are at the fifth movie, and they're just now doing this idea where, Mm -hmm. oh, somebody believes that The Purge shouldn't just be a day. Yes. (laughs) It should be forever. And that's not even talking about the fact that there was a USA show in between the first Purge and election year. Oh, yeah. There was, like, a season of a show that, like, went nowhere. Yeah. Or no one watched it. It might be good. I don't think anyone I know has seen it, so right. I, could, I can't really verify that. Right. But, I we mean, got, what, what else was, do we have going on? We got Spiral coming out this week. Yeah. So by the time this episode is, you know, released, because right. we always we we record live. It's Saturday. Yes, always the fifteenth. Yep. I almost said twenty second. <laughs> That's the next weekend. But by the time this episode has been out. We have seen, you have seen Those Who Wish Me Dead before I have. Yeah. And I've seen Army of the Dead in Spiral before you have. Yeah. And we, I mean, that's the first time in a while I've had two reviews come out in a day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it'll, and they're vastly different types. And they're, <laughs> one's a zombie film and the other is a Saw film starring Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson. Yeah. So that'll be fun. But man. It's just been it's, so weird. Yeah. <laughs> film, the film industry, or, you know, everything's starting to kind of crank out now. I think the film industry is starting to take note or be optimistic due to the fact that, you know, more and more people are getting vaccinated. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and they're starting to put out their bigger, you know, their heavier hitters, and we're finally starting to feel like we're reaching, like, an actual yeah. movie slate. Um, which is kind of nice. It's exciting for somebody, mm-hmm. or, you know, people like us who look forward to new releases. Oh, mm-hmm. the Green Knight trailer. Hell yeah. That's That's been the most exciting movie thing for me this week. By the time this episode has come out, I think I've seen that trailer ten times. <laughs> I've watched it so many times in a short amount of time because David Lowry, as, as so far that I've seen of his, I have not seen Eighth and Body Saints or Old Man the Gun yet. Yeah. But from what I've heard of those two films plus what I've seen – 
he has not had a miss. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited and hoping that this is like, if not one of his best ones, because yeah, it just looks yeah, phenomenal. It looks phenomenal. I love Dev Patel. I love weird ass fantasy like this. Yeah, it's like very old like it's like fantasy. deep cut Arthurian lore. Yes, it's like yeah, let's let's get some more of that. Some le- yeah. let's do less like Lord of the Rings knockoffs yeah. or like established you know big property adaptations. Yeah. let's like just dig into the weird old English lore that already exists in the public domain. Just giant naked humans <laughs> that apparently is in the film, and that's yeah. going to be very unsettling. Uh, I'm going to go right into it? Let's just do it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Sowatch. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. On Odd Trilogies, we take a trio of films, and we talk about the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today we're starting a new trilogy. The last time we were on here, we talked about the last Mortal Kombat film that had just come out, and you know right. it was it wasn't divisive at all. You know, everyone loved it. <laughs> everyone loved it, especially and the fans. Yes, the fans loved it; had no issues with it whatsoever. <laughs> but instead of you know going the video game route and doing another video game trilogy, which we should do in the future, Andy, yeah, we'll get around. Wink, to Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> we instead are going somewhere vastly different on the scale. We are going to something that is a lot more serious, a lot better overall. We are going to tackle our kind of revised version of Taylor Sheridan's American Frontier trilogy. Yeah, so traditionally, I mean, I say traditionally, this is a a trilogy that has existed kind of in the mind of the internet for like two years. Amongst movie nerds. Yeah, amongst movie nerds, it's been kind of considered, the American Frontier trilogy has been considered as... uh, Sicario, directed by Denis Villeneuve, written by Taylor Sheridan. Beautiful film. Um, Hell or High Water, uh, directed by David McKenzie. And uh, Wind River, directed and written by Taylor Sheridan. His directorial Um, debut. Right. Right? Right. Well, not technically, uh, oh. but it is what he considers his directorial debut because okay. he okay. made a movie back in like 2011 that like nobody saw and yeah. wasn't good and he's not okay. proud of it. So he <laughs> but, he, he does the uh, the Tarantino Mulligan. Yeah, where yeah. He, he he made a film, but he could just say yeah, that we'll doesn't count. Brush that, away, that doesn't yeah. count. Yeah, um, but we are kind of doing our own revision of that trilogy. We're cutting out Sicario, not because we don't love it. No. It's a great movie. We even watched it before this episode yes. just to kind of refresh our brains on it. And it's a fucking dark It's a riveting, movie. It's depressing, fantastic. melancholy. It just wafts over you, and it's awful. It definitely a has way. a lot of Sheridan in it because yeah. he wrote it. But it personally feels more to me like if when we do a Villeneuve trilogy, which we will definitely do, it will probably be on that, like a yeah, rise of it, Villeneuve. It, sound, it feels a little more Villeneuve than Sheridan. Um, yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we felt yes. that um, Sheridan's upcoming, well, actually just released movie, Those yes. Who Wish Me Dead, which mm-hmm. we're talking about next week in the next episode, um, we felt like that seemed like it might have a little more in common with Heller Highwater and Wind River. Yes. Um, being that those three movies, kind of the environment is a character. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of, you know, is social commentary mixed with environmental stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we've decided to package it. So today we're talking about the first two in our version of the trilogy, Heller Highwater and Wind River. Logan, do you want to set us sure. on a roll? I think we should first establish, too, um, I mean, who the hell is Taylor Sheridan? Exactly. I mean, Taylor Sheridan is a actor, he's a writer, and he's now a director. 
And he's been an actor for over a decade, right? Uh, yeah, mean, since the early 2000s. Yeah. He was kind of known uh, from, shoot, he did some uh, cable TV series. But then he did, he was on Sons of Anarchy in a small role. Uh, and kind of that's how he gained prominence as an actor. But then shortly after that, he gave up acting because he hated it. Yeah, um, it was. And he, decided to start writing mm-hmm. at like age 40. Yeah. And his first big film was 2015 Sicario. Yeah. It, and it, from that f- onward, like truly, it's truly impressive. From 2015 to 2021, the man has had something written, directed, and or all of the above at some point by him yeah. since then. Right. And because it's like, because you, some, most people listening to this, you might know Taylor Sheridan without knowing who he is. Right. He's the guy behind Yellowstone. Yeah, which he's is a, a co-creator, co-writer yes. of a lot of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Which apparently is just a wildly popular show, at least for cable. Yeah. Like, it's just a show that, like, every now and again, I mean, my parents will just bring up, like, <laughs> they, they are completely caught up on three seasons of Yellowstone. Yeah. And it's it's the show that I think is the reason why Paramount is still trying to do original content. Right. Because it was like... their flagship. Yeah, because Paramount Network was going to, with I think Paramount Plus, I think they just wanted to have a movie network and didn't want to have original programming, which is why they... uh, Because I think they produced Emily in Paris, the Netflix original, and they gave it to Netflix. But after Yellowstone just is banging every time it comes out... They now with Paramount Plus, I think, just has more original content, and they're trying and, to do more stuff. Yeah, but I don't think you haven't seen any of Yellowstone, have you? I've seen clips. You've That's seen about clips. It. Your yes. parents are into it. You My said? parents are into it. Yeah. that's the I, first time I was introduced to it. It's something I kind of want to watch. I, you know, I live in the the young millennial, old Gen Z, post cable world, mm-hmm. and so I kind of haven't paid attention to it. But you, I, no you one know, saw this, but Andy dabbed. As I, he did, said I did. I <laughs> did. I dabbed and I did. A, I whipped. You and whipped. now I'm nay naying. <laughs> now, he's... Logan, you can't stop me. <laughs> I'm not trying to. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's it is weird because yeah, Yellowstone is a show that is just a traditional network show. Yeah. And it has a killer cast. Honestly, Kevin Costner, Taylor Sheridan, you know, ranch family issue conflict, like Dallas type shit. <laughs> yeah. that, that sounds like a dream to a degree. Like yeah. easy TV. Yeah. But and, yeah, to, to to make the point, Sheridan has been very prolific these last mm-hmm. several years. Ever yeah. since he rose to prominence as a writer, he's just kept pumping stuff out. Um, and we're, you know, we're now upon his newest release. Um, but yeah, uh, let's, let's kind of start at the beginning. Yeah. Not Sicario, but the beginning of our trilogy, Hell or High Water in 2016. So what's so interesting about both Hell or High Water and Wind River is that, I mean, I guess spoiler alert out of the way, both Andy and I love these films. Yeah. We think they're great. I'm pretty sure both of these films were in my top ten of the years. Oh, for, yeah, same. I think I think I think Hell or High Water was low on my 2016, but it was still in my top ten. And then Wind River was a bit higher on my 2017. Yeah, you and I, we both love both of these. Yes. At least before our most recent viewing, we were kind of flip flopped. Yes, I, Hell or High Water is my favorite. Wind River is your favorite. Uh huh. After our uh, rewatch of both, I'm kind of at a point where I feel pretty much equally about them. I do. I think I have more personal affinity for Hell or High Water just because I love all of the quirky characters yes. that show up in that. Um, but there's just so much to love about both of them. 
so yeah, we'll get into. 2016's Hell or High Water, our first film in the trilogy, stars Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Gil Birmingham, Jeff Bridges. It is a neo-western about, you know, dual, basically dueling bank robbers and, like, the old-time deputy, like, sheriffs that are kind of going yeah. against them in, like, podunk towns in Texas. And if you watch the trailer for this film, I have to tell you, if you watch the trailer and you went, no thanks, not interested understandable it's a terrible trailer every time i watch the trailer i am always baffled by just how it doesn't capture what makes the movie so great. yeah and it's you know it has the the disadvantage of having cbs films slapped yes. on it and it's a yes. cbs films kind of trailer because there's just i mean because cbs films at that point which i don't even know if it even exists anymore or if it's now yeah. molded into something else but cbs films was not a, a peak of quality or like no, just not a even mascot really, of that. I mean, I don't feel like it was that known of a brand. No, not really. Um, and I think, what they did make were not that renowned. No. I think the the two films I think they did that I think off the top of my head is they did like Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Faster. Oh, yeah. It was a revenge film. And there was, I think, called Desperate Measures, which was that Brendan Fraser, Harrison Ford oh, medical yeah. drama. Wow. Which were both films that, you know, no one really saw. <laughs> and Hell or High Water is in the same boat, and it's not surprising yeah. with the trailer. And we're telling you now that, like, it is on Hulu, especially if you have Showtime, like with a Showtime add-on. So yeah. if you have Showtime, definitely give it a watch. Even if you rent it, we would recommend renting it. Because Absolutely. what's one of the shocking things about us rewatching this film is that this film is funny. Yeah. Like, it's just genuinely funny all the way through. Yeah, it's, it's an, weird. It's an incredibly sobering, like, look at poverty it, out yes. west in Texas and the, the, the kind of the disease that is poverty and the way, you know, impoverished people live and banks keep them down. But, like, outside of, like, its actual message and that kind of constant overhanging thread, it's, like... Yeah, minute by minute, it's hilarious. It's just got so many colorful, weird, kind of odd side characters that just Mm -hmm. pop in and have this huge attitude. Um, And the thing I love about that is that, you know, while it's being funny, it's also really painting a picture of the world these characters live in. Mm -hmm. And you really get a sense of where they are and how they live and, you know, everybody's perspective on things. And I think that's kind of interesting how Sheridan is able to do that with comedy which is, you know, not entirely absent, but yeah. hugely reduced in most of his other projects. Yes, especially Wind River. Yeah. Like, especially Wind River, it is, it's very, it's very good. It's, it's, it's just so much fun to watch Hell or High Water in terms of listening to the script. Yeah. Because Sheridan's writing in Hell or High Water shows a lot of what makes him such a strong screenwriter, both as he goes on later as, still as a director, but also in terms of, you know, just knowing how to do show, don't tell. Mm. Because what works so well in Hell or High Water is it does a great balance between having great character moments that don't feel like you're forcing history for the most part, forcing character development, as well as you have great visual moments where maybe not a lot is being said, but you know mm. it's it's speaking volumes with little to nothing. And that's what I really like about Sheridan, as well as the fact that like he is one of those writers who puts in a lot of political a lot of cultural kind of commentary that doesn't feel forced. It feels very... Because what's so interesting about this film is you find out that the banks that they're stealing from, they're stealing from banks that have basically taken homes, 
jobs, basically livelihoods from practically every town that they're going to. Yeah. So when sheriffs are talking to basically bystanders and asking about the robbers, a lot of the people just don't give a shit what happens to the banks. Yeah. They're, they're just like, like, well, they get what's coming to them. Yeah, they took my job. Like, yeah. this is... I mean, there's even this phenomenal, truly phenomenal little monologue by uh, Gil Birmingham, who is Jeff Bridges' partner. Yeah. And he basically talks about how, like, at one point, you know, like, you, you, your ancestors were the Native Americans before my ancestors were the Native Americans, and now we're at a place where everyone's losing their land here and there, and it's just a yeah. cycle of yeah, just Yeah, he's, he's like, 100 and, 150 years ago, your yeah. ancestors took this land from my ancestors, yes. and now this land's being taken from you by them, and points at the bank that took yeah. the money, you know, that yeah. basically screwed uh, Toby and Tanner, our main characters, which yeah. motivated them to rob the banks. Yes, and, it, and again, saying it out loud, it sounds like, wow, this could be a preachy scene, but in all honesty, it's handled with such... Yeah. Just authenticity and just perfect pacing. They're like, when it comes out, it feels authentic to what the conversation they're having. Yeah. And that's basically the majority of the film where it's like, yeah, both the robbers, Toby and Tanner, have a backstory in terms of why Tanner, the oldest one, was in jail. Because he he's basically a criminal through and through, and he's not a great yeah. guy. But you you understand why through just conversations where... They could just stay outright that they were abused by their father and abused by their mother, but like they have other ways that they get around that and they talk about that. Yeah, and Sheridan has talked in interviews about like his background as an actor before coming a writer or before becoming a writer kind of made him like allergic to exposition. Yeah. So you'll notice in a lot of his work that he kind of finds uh, roundabout ways of getting you filled in on. Mm -hmm how the story got to where it's at and where it's going and why these characters are doing what they're doing. He's he's incredibly good at just naturalistically kind of suggesting enough yes. that you piece it together. He's also, he's just, he's one of those writers that, like, I think really probably believes strongly in the intelligence of the viewer. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not somebody who's going to beat you over the head until you understand what's going on. I mean, I, I remember mm -hmm. even in our most recent watch, and I've seen Heller Highwater probably more than half a dozen times, mm -hmm. and even on our recent rewatch, I, like, missed a line and, like, was like, wait a minute. Mm, okay, wait a few more lines. Okay, I think I'm getting the idea. And then the next scene happens. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm back with it. I understand. That's, that's what's so insane, too, is, like, to me, there's... In terms of why I would say Wind River is probably what I prefer over this one, it's really just down to one scene, which we'll get to later. Because for the most part, this entire film doesn't really spoon-feed you anything. Like, mm -hmm. it's generally like, if you're in a theater and you're watching this like it intended, you will be able to get what the plot is, what they're trying to do, why they're doing what they're doing, without them having to say out loud, this is what we're doing. Here's the plan. This is why we're doing it. This is my motivation. Everything makes perfect sense from both sides, from both yeah. robbers and for cops. And what's even interesting, too, what rewatching it now, just how good the acting is in, this, in a subtle sense. Yeah. Where it's like Jeff Bridges, I think, in this film, he's not the standout actor to me, but he is fantastic oh, just yeah. across the board where it's like he throws – horrible horrible like jokes at his partner yeah he's always making like ethnic jokes about his half native american 
partner. Yeah, and like he's making Native American jokes just to like get a rise out of him. Yeah. But it's very clear in the moments where it's silent. Nothing's going on. There are just scenes where it's like he just can't sleep anymore. He just doesn't like sleeping. He just yeah. he just like the only way he can sleep now is like in chairs. Yeah. <laughs> in benches and chairs outside of motels or restaurants. Right, right. A lot of people I think kind of unfairly call this a uh, you know, a poor man's no country for old men. Um and while I think that's, that's sort a- of missing the point of it what is. this movie's about and we can get into that in a minute. I think probably where you see the most of that is in Bridges' character, and that's not a criticism at all. I actually no, love I, his character. I would agree um, with that. But you, he's he's kind of filling a similar, or you know, fulfilling a similar arc that Tommy Lee Jones is mm-hmm. in uh, No Country for Old Men. The kind of this is the death of a way of life. I mean, the whole movie is kind of about that. But yeah. it, for him, it's like he he kind of can't wrap his head around mm-hmm. th- what possible motivation these, you know, to him faceless robbers would have. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, staring down retirement, which is weeks away for him. And this is his yeah. last case that he's working before he which retires. Is, which is like a just... classic neo-Western, like yeah. even cop drama thing. Where right, it's just right. Like, One last even, job. I'm just three weeks from retirement and he just yeah. dies. And just, yeah, in, it's in the scenes when he's alone. Because when he's mm-hmm. with his partner, he's, you know, cutting up and wisecracking and everything. Yeah. And it's great. But then it's the scenes where he's alone where you just see just all the pain that he's taking on mm-hmm. and the fear he has of what's coming. Yeah. And it's just, I, you know, you love a character like that that's yeah. kind of balancing between two points. Yeah, I feel like carrying him to Tommy Lee Jones' character in No Country for All Men makes sense yeah. on a surface level, but I feel like in terms of actual character, it's misunderstanding Jeff yeah. Bridges' character because to me, the main difference is Tommy Lee Jones' character is afraid that he's just going to die on the job because everything has changed so much. Everything has become so much more deprived than when he started on the job right. that he just thinks every time he's coming in, as he gets closer and closer to retirement, something bad's going to happen. Well, as with Bridges' character, Bridges basically says outright he wants... He would rather die on the job He than wants retire. something bad to happen. <laughs> yeah. He wants to go out in a blaze of glory yeah. because it, the one thing he's afraid of the most, he's not afraid of a shootout. He's not afraid of dying. He's afraid of the porch. Yeah, he's, he's afraid, afraid of, of losing yeah. his purpose, basically. Yeah, he's he's afraid of slowly dying because mm-hmm. he doesn't have a wife anymore. He's got an empty old house. It's a nice house when we see it. <laughs> but, like, it is very clear that he just doesn't want to be retired and alone yeah. and not have anything to do. Yeah. And, and that makes it vastly different. So, like, when – I mean, again, we're going to be talking about spoilers for both films. But so when – it comes down to the final gunfight, and his partner, who has so much more to live than he does, dies in front of him. Mm-hmm. It is very clear that not only does it make sense, like like just like narratively, that like that's more impactful. Right. It also leads to one of the best moments in the film, where Jeff Bridges overcomes one of the robbers, overcomes the older brother. And he just, as he's trying to celebrate, he just breaks down yeah. for a brief moment and yeah. realizes that he won, but not at, but not without the cost of, like, his yeah. partner. It's such a great small moment because, yeah, it's like he, you know, takes the shot, yeah. finishes the job, you know, hits the guy next to him on the shoulder, kind of like, a, did you see that? We yeah. got him. He's like, yeah, and then I'm just, a boy. like, his laughter just kind of, as the guy walks off, his laughter just, like, immediately devolves into, like, crying and exhaustion. And It's, it's an incredible, subtle moment that yeah. is the, 
I think, the best moment of acting in the film. In a film that is filled with great acting yeah. moments throughout. Especially from Chris Pine. Yeah, Chris Pine's a great. Well, I is mean, this his best film? His best performance? Yes. Uh, probably. I can't think of another performance that yeah. is really. Uh, he's he's hit one of those way. actors that I I really like him, and I'm always rooting for him. Yes. His the movies he gets put in do not always you know help yeah. him, or you know a lot of times they kind of fall short, or he's not given that much to do. Yeah. I think it's kind of a shame that he's been relegated to the like funny hot guy in hollywood yes um because i feel like he's i mean this movie is a perfect example he's got the chops to do you know more grim yeah. understated mm-hmm. kind of from the heart stuff and doesn't always have to be you know kind of cracking wise yeah he's he's been relegated he whether... might be the least funny character in this movie <laughs> yeah he's the most he's the most serious yeah he's got he's again similar to gil birmingham but on the other side of things on the on the criminal side yeah he's got the most to lose Tanner doesn't really have much to lose other than his little brother yeah, who's well, with him. And yeah, it's Tanner just doesn't care. Yeah. Like that's if the thing he loses too. something, he doesn't give a shit because he's spent the last what, ten years in prison and he's not afraid of yes. going back. Yes. Um and you know, the thing that landed in him mm-hmm. landed him in prison, he'd do it again if he could. Yeah, to a degree, what's hilarious is Tanner is the Jeff Bridges of the criminal side <laughs> and Toby is is Gil Birmingham's character yeah. where it's like they both have they they have a lot to lose. Well, as both Jeff Bridges and Ben Foster, who plays Tanner, fantastically. Yeah. Ben Foster is one of those actors where it's like I'm always excited to see him, but he has such a wide range of good bad movies. Yeah, like just so many good movies. I mean, like this is the same year or the year prior when he's in fucking Warcraft, and he's <laughs> yeah. not good in that movie. Yeah, he is hamming it up yeah, way how too could much. You be? I know. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but, like, he is just such a good actor in this movie. He is a true asshole through and oh, through. yeah. But he's an asshole with charm. And it's weird yeah, that it, he has charm. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where it's like he – you're it's revealed he's, – he's revealed to be more and more despicable as the movie goes on. Yes. And yet, like, just continuously – goofy and charming and likable in that scumbag way yeah um and that i mean that speaks to the the way sheridan writes his character as well as his performance but it's just you know he he is absolutely when you put it down on paper after the fact like he's a piece of shit he's an awful person through and through he's a horrible horrible human being but like you know I don't know. Maybe it's the like brother bond he has with Toby, yeah. and the fact that Toby has kind of a noble cause. Yeah. Um, that you know, you just you feel for their situation, even if well, it's you the, can't. It's you know. it's the smaller moments that basically identify the fact that Tanner is basically too far gone in terms of rehabilitation. He doesn't want to re he doesn't want to rehabilitate himself. He's not going to try to be an actual citizen. He doesn't want to be. Yeah. And he's okay with that, and he's made his peace with that. At the same time, though, that doesn't mean he's going to let his brother go the same path. Yeah, it's kind of like and, his his social, financial, yeah. domestic victimhood has mm-hmm. pushed him to the point where he's now the victimizer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you still have that victim in there. It, um, and he, you know, feels for his brother. The, the idea of generational poverty hits the most with the criminal side of things. It Absolutely, definitely yeah. is talked about. It's actually, I would say it's talked more 
on the sheriff's side of things because the sheriffs are trying to basically come together and figure out, like, you know, why aren't people really talking about this that much? Why are they hitting these types of banks? Right. And that brings in the uh, com- the conversation about generational poverty. And, and yeah. with the criminal side, it's just more apparent. Yeah, there's especially what they're trying the to do. Commentary is more overt on the cop side of things, mm-hmm. whereas it's a little bit more um, character driven on yeah. on the the side of the brothers. Because um, you you're really just kind of finding out about how they got where they are and why they're doing mm-hmm. what they're doing, um, and meanwhile you're cutting to the cops who are kind of just like not narrating but sort yeah. of commenting on why yeah. they, why these things are happening in a very Logan Lucky esque way. Once you find out in terms of why they're stealing so little, because they're stealing little amounts of money. Yeah. They're not actually hitting the bank. They're not hitting the vault. They're hitting the registers. The registers at the At the earliest convenience in the mornings. And you find out the reason why they're doing all this is because of they want to take the money from Texas Midland Banks, basically take that money, bring it back to them, and pay off the mortgage and the back taxes for a ranch that was their family's. Yeah. And use that to basically make a deal with Chevron where they can take oil from that site and basically give their future generations a better life because they can have $50,000 a month. Yeah. And the yeah the bank that the bank that they're stealing yeah. from is the same bank that basically put them in poverty yes. and screwed them out of their land and is yeah. trying to take their land from them. And all this, so this is beautiful. Yeah, for the majority of the film, they do not say this outright. It is just given to you with context in clues tiny pieces, and little tiny yeah. pieces. And it's really kind of by the yeah. end. I mean, you, you. It's the lawyer who really says, like, I mean, you're paying those sons of bitches with their own money. You're stealing from them. I mean, hell yeah. Like, yeah. It's like they basically say outright what they're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, they tried to swipe your land from you for, or your yeah. grandma's land for $25,000. Mm-hmm. That's so arrogant it makes my teeth hurt. That's oh, like one of my favorite, one of your favorite. like Texas lines in that great. movie. Oh, that movie, it's, it's so good. I mean, yeah. the best well, you I mean, can, the best ahead. line for me is definitely, you got a gun on you, old man? You goddamn right I do. <laughs> he just pulls out the gun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean this this movie clearly comes from a very personal place for Sheridan because he grew up on a ranch in Texas mm-hmm. and was like poor until his late twenties. Uh, he said if if they didn't lose the house, like the house that he grew up on, he'd still be living there, probably in poverty. <laughs> oh, it surprised me. And uh, you it, know, and he just you know, he, I think the movie is for him a lot of kind of reassessing his own. You know, the way he sees the people around him and the way he sees his situation at that time and, mm-hmm. you know, how so many people end up screwed, um, you know, in uh, on the lower end of yeah. the financial ladder there. And well, um, Hilariously enough, one of the best moments in the film that just, like, pushes the idea of generational poverty more is the one scene where Sheridan acts. Yeah. When he acts as a cattle rancher that he owns, like, a, a ranch nearby and then all of his cattle got out. Yeah. Due to like a like a fire or something. Yeah, it was a huge fire. Yeah. And he's basically trying to beat the fire to a river yeah. so he can. He's yeah, he's leading all the cows away. It. And what's what's so great about the film too is the film is almost taking that cliche of like this is your this was your grandfather's farm, your father's farm, and it's going to be your farm someday. So you're going to have to accept it. It takes that cliche and like a story and like Sheridan's character in the film is like. No wonder my fucking kids don't want to be a rancher. Look how <laughs> yeah. awful this is. We're barely making any money when I'm yeah. doing all this work. And it's like, yeah. It it gets its point across so fluidly, so yeah. well. And it's also really fucking fun and really yeah. funny at times. 
and when it has genuine, like when it has action moments, because it's not big action moments, but when they do, they're so well done. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, we can go the fact that like there's a scene at a gas station that I've seen at least Ugh. thirty times because it's just it's brutal in the best way. Brutal and quick. Yes, and... it just happens so quickly. Yeah. And there's even fun little moments in there that I catch every time I watch it. <laughs> yeah. There's a great moment where like a bunch of uh, small town people like have shotguns and they're chasing after the brothers yeah and then tanner makes almost like a last stand with it like a with an automatic rifle and it's just so (laughs) it's weirdly badass how he's just like mowing them he's not mowing them down but he's scaring the shit out of them right and it's just overall i mean it's a great film i think it's i think to me the only scene it's truly the only scene in the film that like i see it and go I feel like this could be tweaked, and or not even be in the film for that matter. Is there is a scene towards the end? It's actually the penultimate scene in the film, where months after the last, basically the last robbery, you know, Toby succeeds, but Tanner dies in the process. And I mean, Tanner dies in a great way with the whole uh, the whole Comanche kind mm-hmm. of line that he says to himself. Jeff Bridges is now retired. And he comes in like three months after his retirement's on, and he basically asks the police chief, like, how's the how's the case going? And in this scene, it's not a bad scene. Again, still a great film all the way around. It feels the most exposition-y, and mm-hmm. it feels the most out... It's like... Are you talking about when he's asking about information yes. on the... Yeah, she, she basically tells him outright, oh, no, this was their plan. This was the plot. Here it is. Like, yeah. she, she obviously... Is, she's not saying it like that, but in a certain way... With all we've been given, by halfway through the film, it's pretty clear if you're paying attention, like, oh, this is what they're trying to do. But towards the end of the film, like 10-ish minutes left, they have to – the police chief just basically explains to Jeff Bridges' character what could have been the plan, which was mm-hmm. the plan. Yeah. Where it's like, this guy doesn't have a record, and we're trying to look for this guy. And basically all the exposition that we haven't been getting because we haven't needed it, we're getting it now. And it just kind of made me feel like, well, I don't know if we necessarily... I honestly think if we just cut to the final scene and not had the middle scene altogether, I think we could still... It yeah, would work. I, I think it's really I mean, just there to kind of uh, convince... Or it for, it forces uh, Jeff Bridges' character to act on a hunch. Yes. Because he's, he's convinced by no other... Mm-hmm. By nothing else than his gut yeah. that Toby was in on it, which is, which is in his correct. character, which is in his character, yeah. because um, he so, constantly works on he works on gut. He hates yeah. he hates technology with a passion. <laughs> he he just he he shivers anytime he sees a laptop. He yeah. works on his gut and with like paper maps. What's this <laughs> electronic equipment? <laughs> he's the kind of he's the kind of deputy where if he saw a laptop, he'd be sweating profusely. Yeah, he's like the dad from the Mitchells versus the Machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, besides that scene, uh, the final scene is fantastic. The whole film, I think, is, like, one of the best examples of a, a modern neo-Western. Yeah. Where it's, like, it is about two sets of cowboys on different sides of the law and how they are both basically out of date yeah. and are being lost in time. And it's basically there's one side that is afraid – Jeff Bridges, the sheriff's side, are, are afraid to be left behind as yeah. time is getting better – well, as with the criminals, they're accepting their fate and trying to make a better life after them. Right. And I think it works incredibly well. And I'm still pissed that the trailer is as bad as it is. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like if the, if the trailer, 
I mean, the trailer has a slow version of knocking on heaven's door. Yeah, it's Why like a fuck? slow rock version. Yeah, of, it's, it's so bad. bad. Like genuinely, this this could have been a film. I think it should have it should have gotten more like a no, like awards. It kind did of. get. It actually did, it did get, get quite some. a bit of. I mean, it got nominated for some Oscars. It got screenwriter, um, screenwriter. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But I mean, it didn't win anything, which is yes. fair. But um, I think that was a pretty good year, anyway. Um, that must was that it was, was that La La Land year. Yeah, yeah, that was La La, oh, that was La, La Land year. Um, but the, you know, it's. I think it was probably one of those movies that showed up at the Oscars, and everybody was like, "What is what? this? Yeah. I've never heard of this," because yeah. it was not that well marketed. It, I guess the best way is, I think it was like, it was what Winter's Bone was when it came out. <laughs> yeah. I think Winter's Bone is a great film, but uh, no one was, <laughs> no yeah, one was no, gonna no. give really anything to Winter's Bone <laughs> unless it was like an actor who kind of was like, "Ah, you, you deserve that." Right. And yeah, that's Heller High Water. It's fantastic. Definitely worth watching. If you love Chris Pine, you want to see him be a little bit tan, a little bit nasty. Yeah. <laughs> he looks he looks sweaty and dirty the entire film. Yeah, he's grimy, but no less sexy. <laughs> there it was, doesn't make any sense. There was a great moment when we watched it. We watched it with our girlfriends in the room. Yeah. And they both um, they both said out loud that they would fuck uh, Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, but, it's still... but we but we both misinterpreted thought they were saying something about Ben Foster. <laughs> yeah. They're like, are you talking about Tanner? And they go, no, 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 no. We would never. Like, <laughs> like they were just like so ashamed. They were I, so I believe Emma offended. actually turned to me and said, and uh, my statement stands. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. And my girlfriend was like, what? Yeah. No. Only Chris Pine. Yeah. I know who that is. Yeah. She, I think she went, I'm cultured. I know who Chris Pine is. <laughs> <laughs> I know who one of the five white Chris's of Hollywood is. There are I'm several. Cultured. There are several. Let me check my book to make sure. <laughs> but yeah, Hell or High Water is great. It's funnier than you think. It is a breeze of a film. It is 100 minutes, a little bit over 100 minutes, and it doesn't feel that way. It honestly, yeah. it feels like 90, a tight 90. Yeah, I, I didn't like, remember it feeling so quick. And both yeah. of these movies feel really quick, Sup- and they are pretty quick. I mean, they're both well under two yeah. hours. Um, which is another thing, too, is like Sheridan with both of these films, which also happens in Sicario as well. These plots are extremely straightforward. Like yeah. they're they're like perfect log lines. Like mm-hmm. you get a log line of this film in one sentence, you're like, oh, oh, I guess there's got to be more to the plot. Yeah. No, it's that, but there's so much more to the characters. It adds dimension and depth to what they're doing in the plot. Yeah, well, which is similar and, yeah. to Wind River. And yeah, Sheridan has definitely remarked on that before, saying he really loves to, you know, choose or or create very simple, straightforward plots so he can mm-hmm. really kind of take the time with the characters to yeah flesh out the point he's trying to make and the world that they live in and the you know the the why and the how and the you know it's so good it's yeah. it's it's great well it's got a lot of great kind of uh, a little more subtle um kind of commentary about like you know the the position of native americans in the country yes. which is something that gets expanded upon massively in wind, in wind river. river yes um takes much more center stage mm-hmm. so we can we can transition to that now. Yes. So like. I will have to say that in retrospect, in terms of watching this trilogy, it is super nice that it starts with Hell or High Water. Because as much as I enjoy Wind River, and I guess I prefer it a slight bit more, Wind River is fucking sad through and through. Yeah. It is a rough, very grounded film that, uh, trigger warning, it is. it has something to do with a sexual assault. Yeah. It shows it in the film. 
It is a film that is just cut and dry, very much a this is how the world is type film. Yeah. The good and the bad. Mainly a, bad. Yeah, very bleak kind of reflection yeah. of the world. Which I didn't remember that being such a stark difference from Hell or High Water well, until watching yeah. it back I think a huge back. part of that was we both forgot just how funny Hell or High yes. Water and how upbeat it is in yeah. some ways. In the first ten minutes, it was making us all crack up. I was yeah. like, what the hell is and happening? Why is it so funny? Yeah, any any humor that's in Wind River, which is very little, is very dark and macabre and just kind of deadpan. Yeah. so the It's pr- not laugh out loud. Yeah. So going from Hell or High Water to Wind River, Wind River's plot is basically it takes place on the Wind River Native American Reservation. Yeah. Uh, or is it, is it just Indian? I think it's, it's officially it's, called the Wind River Indian, Indian Reservation. Reservation yeah. Yes. And uh, the leads are Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. Yes, it's, it's Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye. <laughs> where Jeremy Renner... Is works with the Fish and Wildlife Association. He's yeah. a basically he's a he's a hunting officer. He's a hunter tracker. He basically yeah. gets hired to mm-hmm. like hunt predators. Um, yes, for you know so that farmers' cattle doesn't get overrun. Yeah, like his um, his ex father in law is dealing with a mountain lion, so he goes into the mountains to try and find said lion and finds a dead Native American girl. And the plot just kind of thickens from there. Yeah, and it's and, kind of one part murder mystery one part commentary on reservation life and what we've kind of done with (laughs) the native american population yes it is it is a film that is not it's not cutting any of the fat it's pretty much just straightforward talking about yeah it's it's like this is a lifestyle now and we made this happen yeah as as and, and as a culture we don't talk about this yeah and these are the dark horrifying results of that culture we've created because it's basically discussing about a native american girl gets raped and is killed in the well she dies due to the cold but she obviously was assaulted and was running away from her fleeing for her life and died in the cold yeah Yeah, because it's so cold in wyoming yeah it's wyoming wind river is in like northwestern wyoming yeah so yeah in a in a place that like the you know the the natives who lived there back when it was you know really their land freely mm-hmm. um you know they they wouldn't live there year round they live there in the summer mm-hmm. um but of course now due to the way that we have you know established reservations and that sort yeah. of thing these people are stuck there year round and mm-hmm. the winters are horrifyingly harsh yeah and you know it's negative 20 at night and it snows year round and yeah there's just there's it's horrible conditions everyone there is poor because Mm -hmm. you know because oh it's a reservation the you know federal government has very little jurisdiction there yes um and their their local law enforcement is very uh, scant and Mm -hmm. on supplies and resources and staff so It's, it's it's kind of a it's a very difficult case in a very difficult place. Yes. <laughs> uh, with very limited resources with, to solve it. With a population that is so used to the harshness that they're pretty stark. Yeah. They're pretty stark, very cynical Drug about... Drug addiction is a huge thing yes. on the reservation for young uh, people especially. Mm-hmm. And a big thing about it is once the body is found, 
the FBI doesn't really have anyone to really send except for Elizabeth Olsen's character, who is kind of green in the job, especially where she's going. She's not yeah, used to the cold. she's from Florida, stationed in Las Vegas. Yes, she's like, from Fort Lauderdale. She's just not cut out for the frontier life. Yeah, she's, she's, befe- she's definitely the cop that is a fish out of water in this scenario. Yeah. And every time she's trying to do things by the book, she basically has to be told, like, Listen, no one helps. The us. book doesn't cover the yeah. res- like the there's, reservation. There's a great moment in the early on in the film where they go to the coroner mm-hmm. and the coroner says like I have to count this as her death is she her her breath turned crystallized into her lungs yeah, and she like, died. I, I can't label this as like homicide yeah. as the cause of death and you know she yeah. can, she can only continue the investigation if it's labeled a homicide because that's the only way that the fbi gets jurisdiction on the reservation and he's like i mean literally speaking scientifically speaking she didn't die of homicide one of the best moments is like listen i am on your side i am not saying i don't I this is murder. I agree with you. I just that she can't. was murdered, yeah. but that's not how. Like, yeah, it's know, she. Literally that's speaking, not that's not how she died. Yeah. Yeah. I can't lie on the papers. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, she's super frustrated and thinks people aren't helping her because she's a she's a cop. When in reality, she is just so naive in terms of how harsh and yeah. awful those situations, those yeah. the landscape is. She doesn't get how little help that they get out here. Yeah, and then in, in comes quote-unquote knight in shining armor not really but jeremy renner's character jeremy renner is a big part of this film because in my i mean main character yeah not only is he the main character it is revealed halfway through and not right into the third act that the girl who died was best friends to his daughter who practically died the same way yeah but they never caught anyone who could have like they don't say if she was sexually assaulted or not they just said she died in the cold yeah similar to natalie the girl they the dead girl they find in the beginning of the film yeah and And, well and and elizabeth olsen's uh you know the officer or the fbi agent basically recruits him to help her navigate yeah. the harsh conditions of the reservation because he works mm-hmm. on it he knows it like the back of his hand it was, it's truly one of the it's the most trailery moment to a degree but i still love it where it's like i'm only i'm i'm a hunter yeah she's like monsters. she's like what do you do and he goes yeah. i hunt predators and she goes why don't you hunt one for me yeah why don't you hunt a predator for me yeah. and it's like a different kind of predator and it's yeah. like ah yeah. movie time yeah. but what's what i think makes this movie despite how fucking bleak it is through and through what really stands out the most to me is Jeremy Renner's performance because what like we talked about earlier we 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 kind of talked about this after we watched it but like the scene where Jeff Bridges and Heller High Water breaks down which is like a, a brief like 15 20 second moment but it's still a impactful yeah. moment that is how I feel his entire performance is in Wind River. Yeah, well, it's like that He's... moment is stretched out over the whole movie. Yeah. Because you never get that real breakdown. No, he never Jeremy. does. You know, you yeah. never get the big, boisterous, sad yeah. scene. It's just, you just see the pain yeah. boiling under, you know, behind you, his eyes. You get a man who has been fighting his anger, his sadness, for three years straight. Loses yeah. Loses his wife basically loses any kind of semblance of a a regular life mm-hmm. of a steady happy life because of the death of his daughter and it leads to phenomenal moments with Gil Birmingham who plays the father of the deceased in the film and there's a great moment where he's like he talks about how he went to a seminar about dealing with grief and talks about like 
you know, it's the bad news is nothing will ever be the same. You know, good news is once you accept that you can revisit her in your mind and you can find some semblance of peace and try and basically try to move on without having to force yourself to forget the yeah. the the death the deceased and yeah, you basically have to in his words you basically yeah. have to embrace the pain and mm-hmm. the awful you know he's he's a loving father he is even even as a, an ex husband he obviously still loves his wife yeah he is he is the most understandable like he's the most understanding person I think of this mm-hmm. entire film where it's like things just happen and he's like I get it. I understand yeah. what this is. I mean, there's a scene well, where yeah, he's yeah. almost become so. In a lot of ways, it's almost like he's become so cynical that he's mm-hmm. just like, "Yep, I expected that." Yeah, <laughs> but you kind of realize that under the hood, he's not. He's not necessarily cynical. He's just accustomed to yeah. the realities of the world. He's 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 probably the closest to realist yeah. that I could think of, yeah. where it's just like he isn't saying like the world hates you and is trying to eat you alive he's just like the world isn't revolving around you the world is bad at times and you can be mad at the world but every time you try to fight the world you're gonna lose you're gonna lose i mean the best the best line in my opinion that he has is i i fight the feeling that tries to fight the world he's talking to what is it emily or natalie natalie's older brother brother who is you know he's been hanging out with these um like the drug little, addicts, the, the little, little feather, fella, little, little fellow, a little feather, little fellow, little feather. Yeah. Um, but he's, yeah, he's basically gotten like hooked on heroin or something really mm-hmm. awful. And, um, you know, uh, Corey, Jeremy Renner's character knows this kid has known him since he was a child and yeah. he's just kind of talking to him, trying to, you know, get information and yeah. check on him and that sort of thing. And the guy, you know, I think is his name, Sam, Sam, the, son, yeah. the yeah. brother, Sam's just like, yeah, like I get I get so angry, I just want to fight the whole world and he's like, yeah, I mean, you got to fight that feeling because if you fight the world, yeah. you're always going to lose. He goes he goes, yeah. I try to fight I tried to fight the world too and it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah it's like, so you have to fight the feeling. Which is great too is like Jeremy Renner his character in a, in a lesser film would be the I don't play by the rules, I do it my own way type of character. Because, again, he's very cowboy-esque. And now he's like the lone ranger who's not really a cop. He's He's not a cop. Yeah. He he kind of, for one... For one job, he works for the cops. Yes, he, but and he, you know, he does do things his own way. But it's not like he's, he's yeah, yeah, he's not but solving he, the case himself. Or yeah, anything. he doesn't. He doesn't overstep his boundaries. The only time he really does is he uh, he he hits Sam, but only because Sam says you couldn't even protect your own daughter. Yeah. And there's a brief moment where Renner goes. Well, I gotta hit you now. You just said <laughs> something. Like, you don't get to speak to me. I was, like that. I was gonna say you can't say anything about my daughter. Like, yeah. don't even say that shit. I'll beat your ass. And it's like, oh my god. Yeah. And there's something we didn't talk about with Hell or High Water that we should we need to talk about with Wind River because I think it's even more apparent in this film. Sheridan, at least in his writing, does a great job that makes violence stark, uh, immediate, and just shocking. Yeah. Or in Hell or High Water, there's about three, four deaths, maybe five deaths total. Yeah. And every time it happens, the gunshots echo. Yeah, it's they, shocking. Yeah. The 
blood spatter is yeah. kind of scary. Yeah, the, the body like, count. Oh my gosh, the body count's bigger in Wind River, and I feel like it's even <laughs> because of one scene. Yeah, because of one specific scene, but it's even more intense when it gets violent. Yeah, like it the is. first the first true violent scene in the film is when they go and they see the little fellows and both Elizabeth Olsen and who is the tribal police. Is that uh, actor uh, Graham Greene? Graham Greene. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, Chief Ben or whatever. Yeah. Yes, from yeah, I love him. I love him. Yeah, Graham Greene's great. Uh, a lot of great, great kind of characters that you've or actors yeah. that you've seen in other stuff but don't know their names. Yeah, or and well, sadly, <laughs> it's a lot of phenomenal Native American actors who just yeah. don't get a lot of work. Yeah, unless... Julia Jones. Julia Jones is Julia Jones. Uh, Jeremy Renner's ex-wife. Um, she's she's Man- great. She's, she's in Mandalorian she's season Mandalorian. one. Hopefully she'll come back at some point. I would love that. So we can get our fanfics realized. Oh, please. I would love that. <laughs> she's honestly the best part of the episode she's in because that episode is just a Magnificent Seven ripoff. It is a mediocre Magnificent yeah. Seven, yeah. But like in Wind River, in the in the scene where they go to see the little fellows and try to find Sam, both uh, Ben and Elizabeth Olsen's character, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Uh, but um, shoot, yeah. But both uh, her it's something and Banner, her yeah, last name's Banner. Her and the tribal police chief get pepper sprayed. Yeah. And while Jeremy Renner's taking care of most of the little fellows in the in the back, he just like knocks them out with a shovel. <laughs> yeah. Um. There's one still in the basically in the uh, mobile home. Yeah. And it's this very intense moment where you see from her perspective that she is in a lot of pain. Yeah, she can barely see. Yeah. They've, like, got the camera covered up with some sort of material so you can kind of simulate her lack of vision. Yes. And she's, like, slow. And she's scared shitless, obviously, because she's in a shootout where she can't see. Yeah. And there's a moment where a guy with a shotgun is about to mow her down, and she just unloads a clip into the guy and it is stark it just when it happens it's so loud yeah it hits like a ton of bricks and when the guy gets hit he doesn't die immediately and it makes it even worse for her because she has to slowly watch him die right because the tribal police chief is like emts are an hour away he's dead yeah like you killed him not saying you did the wrong thing but like you can't save him he's gone you took a life yeah. And so she has to sit there and, like, basically, like, just, like, bask in that kind of, like, yeah. dread as he just slowly dies. And then, and then at the very end of the film is a shootout that is just insanely just rough. <laughs> yeah, basically, the yeah, the people who are kind of responsible directly and indirectly for Natalie's death um, are yeah. a group of miners or it's like, like oil oil yeah but, but i don't know if they're actually the riggers or if they're like security because they're well armed and they're there periodically yes. throughout the year i don't know maybe, if maybe they're just guarding the, the maybe. property yeah yeah um, i think that might be the case because uh because they basically find out that natalie had a boyfriend a much older boyfriend who worked security at an oil rig yeah and they find his body in the middle of nowhere, yeah. butt-ass naked. No one knows why, and but so they find like, out it's him. Yeah. So then, yeah, Corey and uh, Agent Banner and the police chief go to the the miners' quarters, basically. They have trailers set up in yeah. the mountains where yeah. they live um, and can, you know, kind of ask to see the premises or kind of, you know, in, lightly interrogating him and stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't take kindly to that. Guns get drawn. It's, you know, a Mexican standoff times 20 where you've just got 
like yeah. two dozen people all pointing guns at each other. That's the thing too is like unlike a usual Mexican standoff or like in a in a classic western. Yeah. Um the 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 whole I'm going to shoot you moment where it's like they're about to like knock each other out happens like 10 minutes before the actual shootout before it actually yeah because there's this yeah they they de-escalate it yeah only to for it to re-escalate later yeah because elizabeth olsen ben the police chief the tribal police chief and two just regular i think county police i think they're yeah they're deputies yeah deputies they all go to the rigging site in like the security area just to just to talk to them like they're not even they're not even trying to arrest anybody they just are like we know now that this is where we need to go. Yeah. And while this is happening and they're trying to show them the area, like the, the security people, the two county, the two deputies just like realize that they're being flanked. Yeah. Like they're just being circled and then they start to freak out and then guns start getting pulled. Yeah. And you find out basically five, ten minutes later that they were absolutely right. Yeah. They were going to get shot. But there's this great intense moment where both the deputies who have only been introduced like a few minutes later are just killing it because they're obviously scared shitless that yeah, they were they have about no to idea die. what they got into yeah there's a great moment where like elizabeth olsen de-escalates the situation she to back pulls to, like, authority as fbi yeah and she's like everybody chill yeah <laughs> i have jurisdiction and the dip and like the, one of the deputies where who won't put his gun away just looks at her and is like you you didn't see that yeah did, and like and in her head like you don't really know if she saw her or not but her she was like we She's like, can't be doing this yeah. yet. We can't. She do basically this yet. thinks he, yeah, overreacted or yeah. you know was got nervous or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because again, it, you would be silly for them to pull guns on you that early. But yeah, you find out later as Elizabeth Olsen is trying to figure out uh, Natalie's boyfriend's like uh, co like roommate because they yeah. live in a, a big kind of a yeah, area trailer, together yeah. trailer together. She just gets shot by a shotgun shot through a door. Porch, gets yeah. shot off the porch. Is trying to breathe. Yeah. yeah, she gets hit in the vest, so like she yeah. doesn't actually get she shot, breaks, but you know she takes all the force of it. She she breaks a rib or two for sure. Yeah, she's definitely sore. And she's then, laying on the ground out yeah. of breath. Of course, that shotgun blast triggers everybody else in the circle uh-huh. to pull their guns and start shooting, and it just becomes. You know, like yeah. chaos. Just guns firing everywhere. Everybody falling to the ground, dying. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's graphic without it being too overly gruesome. Yeah, it's not really gory. But no, it's, it's intense and it's hard hitting. It's, it's really, really kind of. Yeah. Almost, I mean, I wouldn't say it comes out of nowhere, but it really shocks you. Yeah, when it when it comes to films, it's not surprising that people are desensitized by guns because they are made in a sense yeah. in certain blockbusters to not. You know, like the 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 good guys usually have the guns, or like they're the sound design is in a way where it's not as actually scary as hearing a yeah, gun in a closed or, environment. Or there's just like, so many gunfights in the movie, or so yeah. many bullets shot in the movie that you yeah. just start to feel like, well, this isn't this isn't that scary. This isn't yeah. high stakes because this happens every time, especially with plot armor. If you're yeah. with if you're with a character who's in a shootout, and you know that character's not going to yeah. die. And the, these movie, I mean, Sheridan's movies have so far done a really great job kind of <laughs> resensitizing you yes. to the shock and the oh violence of, I, of gun pl- of gunfights and I stuff. I was genuinely you know? I genuinely jumped in the the little fellow kind of shooting where it's like when Elizabeth Olsen just unloads her clip it is so loud cuz it's in such a small area. Yeah. She's in an enclosed space shooting down a hallway. <laughs> And it's just so loud. Yeah. And it freaks you out and you go, wow, I forgot. That 
is more of like how a gun kind of like the feeling of a gun being shot is like yeah and, and there's just great moments too in the in the shootout where it's like not everyone dies immediately and they're just like scrambling to try to get someone else out before they go down and yeah. it's really good and feels very real yeah and well, and that, that that effect is in Hell or High Water too, because you know the the brothers, even though they're robbing banks, they're not you know they're not shooting people left and right or getting shot at left and right no, at least until later. So then, when like somebody finally gets shot late in the movie, it's like yeah. oh oh my gosh, this yeah. just went to another level. Like they're yeah. they're this is so much more serious now. It's like it's like they shoot a yeah in Hell or High Water they shoot a guard and then it's almost like an execution style like yeah. shoot just a random bystander yeah and it freaks out chris pine's character and then and when river ever i mean olsen is just shook through the entire movie like anytime a gun is shot or anytime new information is brought in she is just trying her best to finish the case but she also is just like slowly getting more and more just rocked by all the information given to her yeah like when Jeremy Renner tells uh, Elizabeth Olsen the backstory about her his daughter's disappearance, she's very stone cold. She's very, you know, very nice and very genuine about like, thank you for telling me that. I mean, you didn't have to tell me that. Thank you. Very, mm-hmm. very nice. And then she goes to the bathroom and she almost breaks down. Crying. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, oh my god, <laughs> it makes sense why he wants to do this. Right. And of course, you know, you get a great ending with jeremy renner where his introduction into the fight is badass oh yeah in the best way it's probably the only action scene and i or action moment in either of these two movies that's like truly kind of indulgently badass like oh yeah he's the best yeah it's when yeah yeah he basically he's tracking the mountain lion and basically comes across the gunfight that's going on and just starts from a distance just picking off these guys who are attacking um, Banner. And, and he's not chief. even just, he's not picking off with re- regular rounds. He's got oh, like these he like must shatter using, rounds. He must be using hollow point rounds yeah, or something. Yeah, it's going to be hollows because it's like he's, he's knocking people around. There is a, it, it looks like there's cartoon gets, holes, yeah, cartoon holes yeah. in their body. Well, there's a dude who gets shot through the window and like he's inside the trailer. He gets hit through the window and just goes flying across the trailer onto the table. Mm-hmm. And not in like a cartoony way or anything, but it's just like you feel the punch. Of yeah, that. and it's just like, and there it there's a flashback sequence in the film where it shows what happens to Natalie when she got assaulted, what led to the event, how yeah. she died. It is not. It's, it's uh, not it's, a pretty scene. It's hard, it's difficult to watch. It feels the most respectful. Yeah, in terms of how to handle a scene like that. It's, yeah, it's a really tricky thing to include sexual assault, not as an idea in a movie, but, I mean, that's tricky too. But, you no, know, yeah. especially to show or have a scene where it actually plays out. I mean, you don't see, oh, yeah. you know, anything X-rated, but, no. you know, you are there when it happens, and that's a really difficult thing to pull off, and honestly, usually it probably shouldn't be attempted. It's a slippery um, slope. This is a about the best you can do with actually showing what happens or yeah. being present for it and not feeling like it's gratuitous. Yeah, it um, it very much it very much feels less like they're trying to like a director is trying to be like you know, trying to make this victim porn type situation where yeah. it's just like, "Oh my gosh, isn't this so awful? Isn't this just a, Yeah, well, it's, it's more it's just not, like it's he, not like shock value yeah, because not, yeah. you know the whole movie that this happened to yes. her. Yes. It's just yeah. now you're finally understanding, like, kind of everything that happened to her that mm-hmm. night and the fact that 
you know, she still was able to run so far before mm-hmm. dropping. Yeah. Um, you know, she... Because that's another thing, too, is I th- the scene happens that way, too, because it also establishes that she ran, like, six miles. Yeah, she ran and then six she... miles in the cold yeah. at night and she barefoot died. Yeah. before she died. And after it's... being... And it has like physically yeah. and sexually assaulted. Yes. And it is a hard fucking scene to watch, but they keep hitting on constantly. She ran six miles. Yeah. Like she was she such just, a strong yeah. person and she did not at all no one no one deserves what she went through. Right. And it it is a hard thing to do, and I am personally the type of person where it comes to sexual assault and media. I would prefer not to really even try to talk of the subject unless you do kind of something like Wind River where you do it as respectful yeah. and as or, less shocking yeah. as Or if you're you doing can. a movie that's literally about that and about the yes. kind of cultural yes. response to no. that. Because there are plenty of movies that do that really well. But yeah. it's, you know, it's a really tricky thing to include sexual assault in a movie that isn't totally about that. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, this movie does yeah. it largely really well yes um, but it's it, not something i would it recommend. very much feels like sheridan is like this is something i don't necessarily i don't want to do but it is a important part of the narrative yeah. it needs to be shown how fucked up the situation how awful was and how how even through these turbulations she was strong enough to fight through everything that she was going for and just Gives her more of a respect yeah. that she, I mean, she honestly deserves as a character because you right. don't really know a lot about her as a character. Yeah. Well, other it's... than she was very, she was 18. She was very rebellious. Yeah. She didn't really talk much to her parents. So, like, there's not really a lot of character we get to know about her. Yeah. And besides well, that. The, yeah. The thing that's kind of great about the scene, the, like, not specifically the assault, but the scene in which no, no, the assault no, yeah. happens is, you know, the whole scene is kind of focused on her and her face and her reactions to things. And, you know, if not for that scene, you would have a movie with a kind of faceless victim. Yes. Which is not really ever what you want to accomplish when you're dealing with something like sexual assault. You know, I think it really drives the point home that this was a full-bodied, person with their own life and personality and yeah it, and it, it also helps that the gut. F- yeah it, it helps also that the flashback isn't entirely that horrific scene it is more yeah, so much yeah yeah it's mainly there's... about her and her boyfriend and yeah. how in the film it's almost implied or people assume that like since he was so much older he was taking advantage of her yeah he was some shitty yeah. scumbag no he seemed to genuinely who her boyfriend is played by john bernthal from walking dead and punisher yeah. he kills it in this movie i love him the little we get of him he's great he's great and he's yeah, i mean as far he as we can tell a yeah. great guy and seemingly yeah. a very loving and empathetic boyfriend it, it has the vibe that the age difference isn't what there's no power dynamic thing yeah. there. They both just genuinely love each other and have plans that they want to go. They want to get out of Wyoming. They want to go somewhere else. Right. And it makes the scene leading like that leads up to the horrible scene. It makes it even sadder. Yeah. Because it's like this is these are two people that have lives that had dreams. Yeah. And they were taken away by these pieces of shit. So when it gets to the shootout and you see all these guys go down one by one, you're just like it's a bit more gratifying. Yeah, it's cathartic. It's, yeah, but it's it's thank God. Yeah, but it's still 
isn't enough because those two people are still dead. Right. And I think that's another great yeah, thing which Sheridan yeah. does where it's like it doesn't take away from their deaths. And it yeah. doesn't doesn't well, make up for them. That's, yeah, that's kind of the key piece at work in kind of not the final scene but the sort of climax scene where he's yeah. – where uh, Corey takes the the uh, rapist up to the top of the mountain and yeah. basically just makes him – kind of answer for what he's done not in a legal sense but in a you know just a hey i'm standing here in front of you i want to hear you say it i want to hear you say what you did and you know yeah and it's kind of you know he's not getting justice for what happened to either his daughter or natalie um but you know that there is that sort of it's kind of just catharsis um and also you know not letting i don't know he does something that I don't think any other person would have the strength to to do, which is not just immediately beat the living shit out of yeah, this guy. He, yeah. he basically – you can see in his face during the, the, the final scene with the rapist that, like, he wants to basically just torture this guy. He wants to beat him up. He wants He wants him to feel – so much worse than what Natalie felt because he believes is what he deserves. However, he is respectful to the lands, respectful. He's respectful just to like the people who live in those lands and feel like these lands taketh and they giveth, they give and they take. Yeah. I'm going to give you the same chance that you gave gave her. her. And he dies. Sets him free. Yeah. The guy, Dies almost yeah, immediately. The, the, the coward dies. Yeah, like he deserves. He's weak. And he's... Yeah, and not only does he die, he dies where no one is going to find him. Yeah, and he's no at the one's top yeah. of a mountain in the dead of yeah. winter. No one's ever going to remember him, and this leads to like one of the last lines in the film where Natalie's father asks, "Like, how did he go?" And Jeremy Renner goes with a whimper. Yeah, and it's like Gil just like gets even more emotional and. Mm-hmm. It ends on this this feeling that while they were they were successful, they caught the evil bastards that did Natalie wrong, and they finally they found justice to a degree. They they frame it in a sense that they got justice, but this is not the norm. Well, and it yeah, ends it's kind in a profound a, way like that. Yeah, it's, it's like, kind of this. Not only is this not the norm, but like this is the best we get. Yeah. You know, is and it sucks finding still. out who did it. Yeah. Doesn't take away from the fact that it still happened mm-hmm. and so many other victims are not even acknowledged. I a mean, lot the, of good the, people died yeah, in the ends, process of ends, just trying to find Yeah, it ends on kind of one of my personal favorite uses of the like ending like movie ending Title fun cards. fact card yeah, thing. It's not a fun fact. No, it's not fun. It's a fact. <laughs> no, but no, it's um, like it's, it's, it talks about how the basically that there is no national register for um, missing persons for Native American women. No, they're yeah. like they're the only demographic that has no record for missing yeah. persons, and it's just like what? <laughs> it's one of those weird. I because I think it's also this film is inspired by. Unfortunately, this film was inspired by actual events. Yeah. I think a lot of amalgamation of horrible missing cases and whatnot. Yeah. Apparently, while they were shooting this at an actual reserve reservation, like, the people of the reservation were basically telling Sheridan that that, at that reservation of 6,000, there were 12 women missing. Yeah. And no one's really found them. Like, there is a law that says, like, if there is no 
if there's a non if there is not a white person being like who is the cause of the perpetrator of the mm-hmm. crime i mean they can't they can't like prosecute that white yeah, person it's... like it, it has it, if it's a native american who does who does the crime they can get him in a reservation yeah but if it's a non native american perpetrator like the government says that the reservations can't yeah. prosecute, and it's yeah, it's <sighs> kind of the the sick reality underneath the sort of yeah. noble facade under which you know the U.S. government said, "Hey, here, Native Americans, you get this land, and it's all yours, and we're not going to mess with you, and yeah. we're not going to touch you." And it's like, well, we're not going to help you either. And it's when like, you need it, yeah. yeah. It's like okay, gross. And, and it is the fact too that it's like this is a this is a weird situation in terms of the film has a white lead in a film that's very Native American heavy. Yeah. And I th- a lot of people criticize this film for being a white savior film. Yeah. And it really, it, it isn't. Yeah, like it's, not, it's... not only do they not actually save anyone. No. Or, you know, solve the problem. Yeah. You know, it. it's, I feel like for Sheridan, at least, as the writer and director, mm-hmm. he's, he's telling the story in the only way, you know, a white person can enter into that world. Yeah. You know, I mean, we as not necessarily individually or directly, but, you know, culturally, structurally, you know, the white man kind of put the Native American in this situation. And it's like there's no way you can actually understand that. And it's not like a Last of the Mohican situation where it's like he is, they consider him like one of them. He openly admits that he's not. He's not Native American. Well, and they, they, not... there are comments made by the like some of the Native American characters that make it clear, like you know, yeah, you know, you may be family to us by marriage, but like you know, you're not one of us. Yeah, you might have been married to one of us, but you yeah. Aren't, aren't... The only thing Native American, or the only thing, what was it? The only thing Indian about you is your ex-wife or something. Yes. And the thing is, is like Jeremy Renner's not trying to push like, "Hey, I'm one of you." He's just yeah. he's pushing like, "I'm just trying to find who killed this girl." Yeah, and like it's he has a personal tie, and it's yeah because it basically yeah. happened to him, so it's he not finds like, catharsis. In yeah, that. it's not like they're saying like we can't do this. We have to ask the one white guy yeah. near the reservation to do this. They're asking him, "You're a hunter. You know how to track predators, and you have some jurisdiction." Yeah. Like, you have the best chance to not only find this guy, but also probably not kill him immediately. Because he has enough of a control on his feelings that it's not going to get... Like, Natalie's dad wouldn't be able to do what he does because Natalie's dad would be emotionally driven. Yeah. Like, for obviously good... For obviously understandable reasons. Yeah. Well, as... Sorry, go ahead. No, while as with Renner, it's like he... He's had years to perfect putting his feelings down and while that's not a great thing it does make him a better chance of getting these guys without making a mistake yeah it's just you know it's one of those uh, the film itself the individual film is not really the problem that i think people assign to the film it's more that you know yes it would be great if we had more stories by you know, marginalized people mm-hmm. about marginalized people, yeah. starring marginalized people. Um, you know, and to that end, yes, would it have been great if there was a way that this, you know, could have been more focused on a, you know, a Native American lead or something? Sure. Um, 
but it's like you, you that's not a reason to discount the movie itself and the story it tells because it tells an incredibly vital story and yeah. um you know arguably furthers the kind of cause and the 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 needs of those mm-hmm. those people this doesn't feel like a film that Sheridan is doing because he thinks it'll get him an Oscar yeah this definitely feels like a film that he's doing because he is passionate about this problem and wanting to bring it to light yeah. in a way that is it is to a degree it is entertaining because you know it's Jeremy Renner it's Elizabeth Olsen it ends on a quote-unquote happy ending where they get justice yeah but they're also it's a Sheridan, melancholy ending, it's a melancholy yeah. ending that is also saying and this is fiction to a to an umpteenth degree right like nothing and also, like this. yeah this is yeah. a totally an outlier yeah yes and it's, yeah it, it's a you know, I think for Sheridan, I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but, it, you know, it feels more less like, hey, I can be the champion of these people and more like this isn't being talked about. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, we, and, we are going to talk to you know, other. If that spurs more people, yeah. especially, you know, marginalized voices to mm-hmm. be able to talk more about it, then great. You know, I mean, they, yeah. they say, you know, kind of in a lot of cases, art can kind of be the you know the where social change starts. Yeah, the conversation you know, gets yeah, brought up. Yeah, and if if he can you know if he can do his part to tell a story that sheds light on this, then good. Yeah, he should. And I yeah. and I feel like knowing Sheridan in terms of his previous work, he puts a lot of effort into getting the facts right or getting consultants and trying yeah. to make sure the the blind spots in his logic he can have to make sure that that doesn't happen in the actual narrative. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he definitely – is he the best person to tell this story? Probably not, but that doesn't mean this film isn't great. Yeah, and the he tells great. the story in yeah. the only way that he can. It's not yeah. like he's – you know, it's not like he's telling a story that would be better told. Like this story as he wrote it would not necessarily be better told by somebody of a different race or no. a different culture. You know, he's telling the story that he – white man not native american can try to tell and he does it well and i think he does it well and i think he does it in a way that isn't saying anything it's not going it's not losing any kind of of his execution i think everything he's executing works and makes a profound statement that similar to hell or high water in terms of cultural commentary without it feeling like it's preaching yeah to you like they're there the film is not trying to say that because you're white you're you are a part of this problem it's more like because you are white, you probably do not know that this awful thing exists. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's never good to been know. Yeah. brought to your attention. Because the film also does a great job of using Elizabeth Olsen's character to be the surrogate for the audience. Mm-hmm. Where it's like she's not disrespecting the culture. She's not disrespecting the tribe or the reservation. She just genuinely never knew that this yeah, was happening. She doesn't understand. She, to some degree, can't understand. Yeah. Because she hasn't lived that experience. Absolutely. And, I mean, great serious talks aside, yeah. this is overall just a great film that I think deserved a lot more when it came out. And yeah, similar kinda, to yeah. yeah, similar to Hell or High Water, but for an unfortunate circumstance, this film just didn't do as well, not because of a shitty trailer. The trailer is fine. <laughs> they did this because, sadly, this film was bought and distributed by the Weinstein Company. Yeah. During the height of his Me Too moment. <laughs> yeah, it was a Weinstein a, movie at the worst time to be yes, a Weinstein movie. Yes, and a lot of people wanted to just basically... Bury. Yeah, 
most people saw this film and probably initially thought that like you know Weinstein had his hands on this more than like yeah. like no he didn't no, he was yeah. yeah he picked it he up funded probably. it just yeah. as much as he, yeah. they picked it up probably because Heller High Water got some good reviews Taylor Sheridan's the writer Sicario yeah. you know there's good but like and you add that to kind of the surface level white savior narrative yeah. that came out against it and the movie just didn't get that much yeah. response as well as the triggering subject matter in the film added on top of the triggering subject yeah, matter talking true. about Weinstein's Me Too shit it is very clear that this film came out in an unfortunate time and it sucks that it didn't get the love that it deserved initially and I hope now talking about it now and hopefully over the years especially with Renner and Olsen and hopefully they will get bigger and bigger as time goes on yeah. Especially with, you know, Olsen having WandaVision and Renner going to have the Hawkeye show later this year, later next year. Later this year, I think. I think so. I think it's fall. I think so. But, like, you know, hopefully, like, people, if they're interested in them, go back and look at their filmographies and see that this is a worthwhile film that is serious. It's poignant. Yeah. It's super well made. Well, and Sheridan, too, is kind of, you know, he is prominent in the sense that he's been you know awarded for his work he you know is clearly turning the heads of studio executives um but he's still kind of on the you know he's on the outside of that sort of you know he's not a household name as as much as screenwriters and directors can be household names you know he's he's still kind of on the cusp of a list you know named talent um, so hopefully, you know, he, his career continues on the upward trend and mm-hmm. he, you know, gains more prominence. People can go back and revisit these two movies mm-hmm. because, you know, they, they deserve it. Yeah. I mean, overall, while the subject matter is definitely rougher in Wind River, we highly recommend both films. Yeah. Like Taylor Sheridan so far hasn't really made a film that I would consider bad. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, in terms of like his post Sicario onwards, yeah, I, I mean, he, he co-wrote the Sicario sequel, Day of the Soldado, of the which Soldado. is not a very good movie. <laughs> but, you know, also, he was one of two writers. It was directed by somebody else. He probably just lent his help to it because he was like, hey, you know, yeah. it probably was a paycheck for him. Yeah. So I feel like blaming Sheridan for that film is like blaming <laughs> Villeneuve for not coming back. It's yeah, like, no, right. no, that's not kind of how that works. Yeah. Uh, but, man... I knew it was not going to be a fun time talking about certain elements of this film, but yeah. now it's I'm kind of tired now. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a hefty conversation. It's, it is, and it deserves to be talked about, and it deserves yeah. to be considered hefty because it is hefty. Yeah. And it is a rough time when it happens in the film, but I would we would still highly yeah. recommend it. And the the movie deserve you know the as it's used in the movie deserves to be talked about because the movie handles it respectfully. Yeah, in a you know when that doesn't always happen in movies. For sure. So yeah, the first two films of this trilogy are fantastic. Absolutely, we are definitely whether we should or not, we are definitely going into those who wish me dead with some fairly high expectations. Yeah, because not only is it you know Sheridan directing a film again, co-writing a film again, it is an adaptation of a novel. Yeah. So we'll see if that really does anything in terms of like his writing style, yeah, in terms it, of the commentary he usually does. Yeah, it looks a little more action thrillery it does. than these two movies. Of course, you know, the way these two movies, at least Hell or High Water, were marketed, you might think the same thing about those yeah. based on their trailers. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, it's another kind of marketing fluke. But to me, it looks more like Sheridan's 
just trying to make an interesting action movie or something with maybe some some sort of environmental commentary or something. For sure. Uh, whereas these two are much more kind of uh, quiet in a way, quiet, yeah. you know, sort of character studies and social commentaries. It's funny to so think we'll that, see how this one yeah. kind of matches up to the others. It is funny to think that, like, in the time between the Wind River and Those Who Wish Me Dead, Yellowstone is such a big deal that during the Wind River, Hell or High Water kind of trailers, they always put from the writer of Sicario. They yeah. don't put Taylor Sheridan, really. Until with Those Who Wish Me Dead, they put from Taylor Sheridan, the co the writer of Sicario and Yellowstone. Yeah. And it's and it shows. I mean, he's still kicking it. He's doing a great job so far in terms of writing, and it seems like those who wish me dead, especially having Angelina Jolie back in the lead role. Yeah, see how that goes. I Hopefully, seen her do mm-hmm. something like that in a while. Personally, for my own sake, I hope it's not as poignant as uh, Wind River. But oh, yeah, <laughs> but I can go for something way. a little more frothy from yeah. Sheridan. Yeah, maybe maybe something that's in between Wind River and Hell or <laughs> yeah, High Water, yeah. where like you got the the sillier, funnier, but still serious yeah. side, and then there's like the and it just dead serious. Yeah, it just seems like it might have some like just more high flying action. Yeah. than than the other two, which is kind of an interesting thing to see him tackle for sure. But so, yeah, yeah, that'll that be is, next week. Yeah. Those who wish me dead. So tune it's in. It's out now. You can watch it. Yes, it is. It is out now. And at this time, definitely read Andy's review of it. Yeah. <laughs> Since that is published now. <laughs> Why'd you gotta say it like that? I don't know. Because <laughs> we're recording live, and I just remembered that. Yeah. So uh, tune in next week on the 22nd when we talk about the newly released Those Who Wish Me Dead. It's a whole solo episode on that film. But until then. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.